Stories move hearts and hearts move impact. Slingshot Stories. 10 to 15 minute episodes built around what we believe to be really practical key areas of impact that are going to help you grow in your understanding of what impact is and how you can accomplish it. Everybody's on planet Earth for a reason. Find your sweet spot, get off the bench, and get in the game. Welcome to Slingshot Stories, a series produced in collaboration with Journey to Impact and Slingshot Memphis. I'm Ed Gellantine, and I'll be co-hosting today along with my partner in Impact, Jared Barnett, the CEO of Slingshot. We've got another fantastic topic today, one that kind of gets me fired up too, Jared, uh, the interconnected nature of poverty. So many people want to focus on maybe just one thing. It's a, it's, I grew up in the uh, Southern Baptist world, so pardon me, but the whole three points in a poem thing where it's just way oversimplified. But when you, when you think about how interconnected dealing with poverty is, like, like talk us through that. Give us some color on what you mean. Yeah, so you know we've talked a lot in these podcasts, Ed, right around how business principles can be applied to philanthropy and poverty fighting. This is an instance where I, I don't know if that always holds true in the same way when you think about the interconnected nature of poverty. And the reason is in my you know consulting days, right, we could easily kind of go in and find two or three initiatives that would produce most of the value for whatever project, right? Whether it was cutting costs or you know introducing a new product, you know there was some very clear things that would move the needle. And quite honestly, we just didn't worry about the rest of it. Yeah. That whole hedgehog concept, right? Jim Absolutely. Collins, good to great. Yeah. Yep. And so when it comes to, to poverty fighting, though, my experience is that's not the case, right? There, there are some things that are very valuable, right? Like someone needs food, right? And sure. Get out yeah. of poverty, right? Education is helpful. Having a job is helpful. Um, but in isolation, even the value of that one thing is mitigated if it's not taken in consideration to the comprehensive needs that a, a person or family um, has right, and so I think by taking a more family centric perspective or or person centric perspective, right, and saying what is a human need, yeah. right, in order to be out of poverty, what are the different factors? How do those work together? It, it's just a, it changes the the mindset around how you think about it, and it allows you to think about the broader needs of a person, and not just getting locked in that this one thing is going to solve it all. Right, getting a job or getting a GED or, or whatever it is. And I think I want to come back to that family-centric idea because that was sort of transformative to me and how I uh, think about it. But if poverty is interconnected, how, how do you have strategies that address poverty that are interconnected? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways that you can think about this. So one is you can look at I call it the conglomerate approach, right? And you say, hey, what are nonprofits that are doing multiple things for a person or family? Uh, a two-generation model is a great example of this, right? An organization that supports, uh, Agape is a good example, one that we work with here in, in Memphis. They work in a, an apartment complex. They provide support to the grandparents, the parents, the children, uh, and work across that spectrum. And so that provides many things that that family needs uh, beyond just any one thing. So that's one thing to do. But those organizations tend to be rare, uh, and they tend to be right. just as, you know, conglomerates and business can often get less efficient. It's hard to do, isn't it? Right? Yeah. The same thing happens in the nonprofit sector. So what more often happens is you find, you know, a really good nonprofit that's really good at something. And so as you think about different nonprofits, one thing I would encourage you to be thoughtful of is how is that nonprofit not just providing its service, but also thinking about how it's connecting its participants with other needs right. that they may have. And this could be done via a pathway or via a policy. 
when we use the idea of pathway, this is around the idea of saying, okay, if I'm supporting someone in an after-school program, and that's what my nonprofit does, well, that student has other needs. And am I helping create a pathway that enables them to access those needs in a way that's efficient for them? Because I already have a process set up, you know, I am, whether I'm receiving people to provide services or I'm sending someone to new services, there's this smooth streamlined process that makes right. it easy for that participant to receive that. Uh, so a good example is I'm an after-school program. Maybe I need to provide you know, food security, right? Maybe that's a challenge for some of the students yeah. that I'm working with. Kind of hard to study when you're hungry. Exactly. So can I connect that student with someone who provides food security? So I don't do it myself as a nonprofit, but I connect them. And so as you think about the nonprofits you work with, that's one thing to think about is how are they connecting their participants with other services that they need? The other one is around policy. So when you're thinking about policy with after-school programs, uh, one thing you could think about is policy around an individual school or a school district, or it could be county or state education standards, things that could help that individual that you serve, that student, right, receive greater benefits. So a good example we've come across is that uh, there's a lot of research that shows exclusionary discipline practices lead to a lot of negative outcomes. And that would be something that removes the student from the school environment, such as a, a suspension or an expulsion. Well, there is other approaches to that, uh, to discipline that allow those students to stay in the school environment while they still receive the discipline for you know a, right. a, a poor decision they might have made, uh, and just the, the outcomes in those environments are significantly better. And so, as a after-school program, if I'm supporting a student at a particular school and that school has exclusionary disciplinary practices, could I influence that school and help them understand the benefits of changing those practices? Therefore, in a way that would benefit not just the one per student that I'm thinking about, but all the students in that school, right? And then perhaps taking that to a district level so it benefits all the students in that district. And so both of those things are really important as you think about this interconnected nature um, of poverty. I love how you said that. How does that relate to investors in impact and philanthropy? Yeah, so I think as investors, it's important to be, again, mindful that it's okay to be passionate about something and really, you know, want to put your philanthropic support, whether that's your time, money, other resources into it. But if you want to see the change in poverty and improvements in you know the, a, a person or a family's life, you need to make sure that you don't lose sight of the, the bigger picture and the more comprehensive needs that family has. And so can you support nonprofits that are thoughtful of that as well? And making sure that if there's three nonprofits and they're equally effective at what they do, but one of those nonprofits has a lot of different pathways that, to other services that a family might need. Well, that family is going to be dramatically better off as a result of that. So those philanthropic funds that you might invest will produce a much greater return and a much, yeah. much greater benefits because of what's being enabled there. I think that's fascinating. I think of the idea of reinventing the wheel, which is something I hate to do because almost everybody in the world is smarter than me. Almost everybody in the world has created something that works better. So why am I spinning my wheels? No pun intended. Why can't I go find something and make it work for me? And I think the same is, is true in the nonprofit uh, philanthropic impact space. And, and there's a sense of culture in uh, in impact organizations too. And the idea of humility, like I'm willing to work with you because you're better at what you're doing. I get to stay, uh, in the, uh, I guess we'll go back to Jim Collins hedgehog idea, right? I'm going to stay in my hedgehog, what I'm really good at, right? And it allows me to get extremely good with it, but I'm not afraid to partner with you and say, Jared, you're really, really good at what you do. I'm not even going to try to do that. I want to encourage you. I met with the, um, my city rides people yesterday 
and um, and I'd also been thinking about the uh, inner city Memphis inner city rugby. So tell me if this is a bad analogy, but in my mind, I think it fits. So if you think Memphis inner city rugby, first of all, you're like, what Memphis rugby? Um, but number two, you think that's about sports, right? But if you talk to them, it's not really about sports. It's about community and it's about a pathway to education, staying in college, finishing all that sort of thing. Um, but then you think about, well, wait a minute, uh, kids in underserved areas, uh, how are they going to get a ride to school? How are they going to part-time? Oh, let's enter uh, My City Rides, right? So you get this really inexpensive, consistent ride. But then when I was talking to those guys the other day, um, they told me they have realized over the last two or three years, yeah, they're in the ride business, but maybe more importantly, they're in the credit building business because that's one of the biggest problems that people in poverty have is getting a credit history. Then you enter Advanced Memphis that does a lot of job skills training. And uh, I think I told you this before, but one of my favorite jobs ever was driving a forklift at a lumberyard, right? And so uh, the Advanced Memphis people can teach me in my part-time job how to drive a forklift, which might, because I got my scooter now, I can go work at FedEx in a little bit higher paying job, right? I, my part-time job, get me through school, all interconnected. Is that, does that, is that a reasonable analogy? It is. I think it is. And so I think as an investor, right, as a, ph a philanthropist, there's a couple ways you can think about that, right? So one, how do you work with an after-school program that has some of these connections, right? To, so, right. okay, great. You know, I provide the academic support for the student. They then go play rugby with Memphis Center City Rugby. Memphis Center City Rugby helps them get into college with you know, financial aid and scholarships and often playing in rugby programs. Um, now they're at there, My City Rides then helps them get to and from college. And let's be honest, if you don't have your own transportation, having a reasonably paying job while you're in college it's is almost tough. impossible because yeah. you have no way to get there. Yep. Uh, and so having that is helpful. Um, so that not only enables you to get to college and, and you know, to pursue your education, it also enables you to have an income while you're in college. And then one of the other things we've learned about, for instance, with transportation is there's health benefits that come with that as well. And so when the research shows that when a, a person has access to their own transportation, they're much more likely to, one, be proactive in their health care and seek out you know, services before it becomes an emergency and they have to go to the ER. And two, they're much more likely to keep and maintain appointments and just an ongoing care for themselves. And so you see a lot of health benefits that comes from transportation that you may not even think about when you're thinking about a scooter, right? Just like yeah. the credit history, right? Like when you're experiencing poverty, you don't have discretionary income, right? To go and, and invest and, and do things. Right. You're, you're buying something to often for cash um, or on a credit card, which heaven forbid is, is a, you know, can create all sorts of issues. Yep. Um, and so by having a way to kind of build your credit, you know, the main ways of doing that, right, are through transportation, cars and vehicles, right? And houses. Well, if you're in poverty, you're not buying a house anytime soon. Yep. But the scooter that my city rides provides an economical way to build credit history. The so pathway, again, right? you're building, yeah. you know, these multiplying benefits on top of each other. And so as a philanthropist, again, you want to be thoughtful around how is the organizations that you support engaging in, you know, these pathways to help you know, the participants receive other benefits and being thoughtful around taking a family or person-centric approach in your philanthropy, right? So if we take this right. situation here, maybe you're supporting that academic, you know, support after school program. Well, maybe you could, but if you know that that student is also participating in Memphis Inner City Rugby, yeah. maybe you can support that as well. Or maybe that. you try and support My City Rides and connect them with the students that are there. So when they graduate, they have transportation. And so it's this idea of, of thinking about it from a more of a network mindset and yep. a comprehensive mindset than just this one thing is going to solve everything for that individual. 
I love how you said it. We got to land the plane. I, just to kind of wrap it up, I think of life as a fully orbed thing, right? And it's connected and nuanced. And this interconnected nature in the battle against poverty is really important. So I think you and I would say to our listeners two things if we could consolidate it all. Number one, make sure you're asking the organizations that you're working with these questions about how they're interconnected and how they are working with these interconnected puzzle pieces. But also number two, you need to be doing the work to understand how it works in your area of passion because it's going to be a lifelong learning process. Fantastic uh, communication there. Fantastic topic. I love it. Thank you for listening. We love your feedback, so please let us know what you thought about this episode as well as what you'd like to hear more of in the future. For more information, impact resources, or to purchase a copy of the book, Journey to Impact, visit edgillentine.com. That's E-D-G-I-L-L entine.com. The book is also available through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Target.com. For Ed Gillentine speaking inquiries or advertising opportunities, send us an email at ajourneytoimpact at gmail.com. This has been a presentation of the Journey to Impact podcast team. Executive producer, Ed Gillentine. Associate producer, Meredith Taylor. Produced and edited by Joey Woodruff. Special thanks to Stephen Chandler. Mm-hmm.